Good morning, guys. Hello, hi. How how is everybody? You guys all all stretched out and feeling good, ready to sit down and uh, get into this with me. Um, my name's Nick. If I haven't met you, I am one of the elders here, and uh, be bringing you God's word this morning. So. If you uh, don't have a Bible, maybe we could, we're going to get right into it. So maybe we could have the ushers come by. Raise your hand and uh, we'll get, we'll get one to you. Um, And as usual, if you don't have one, feel free to keep it. We're going to be going to Luke 1, verse uh, 46 is where we'll start. We'll read down to verse 56. So in the New Testament, you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, chapter 1, verse 46. We are making our way steadily through this book. <laughs> All right, everybody ready? Feel good? We'll read it, and then, um, and then I'll, I'll pray for us to begin here, and we'll, we'll get in. Luke 1, 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with His arm. He's scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He's filled the hungry with good things. And the rich He has sent away empty. He's helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy, as He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to His offspring forever. And Mary remained with her, Elizabeth, about three months and returned to her home. Let's pray. God, I love getting into Your Word with Your people. It's so wonderfully reorienting for me. How quickly my thoughts um, kind of move away from you and start to circle around myself and what I'm worried about, what I'm thinking and what's going on in my life. And your word just dispels the the haze and brings clarity and balance. And we start to see what all of this is about and the one to whom we should look for help and the one who is worthy of all of our adoration, all of our affection, all of our love. God, I'm praying today that we would be a a church 
upon whom you would look with pleasure, with favor. And I know that that means I'm praying that we would be a church humble and contrite, lowly and broken, not trying to build ourselves up or impress one another, but rather being impressed by you, wanting your name, as was already said, lifted higher and higher and higher. God, so I ask that you would use uh, this time that we have towards that end for your glory and, and for the joy of your people. Would you help me here as I speak to speak your words and would you help everyone here as we listen to have ears to hear by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, um, if you are joining us for the first time, we have been slowly making our way through Luke. And now we find ourselves here where Mary is with Elizabeth. And um, as we'll see in a moment, Elizabeth had just kind of declared praise, if you will, to Mary and her child. And this is Mary's response. Um, what I want to do, just give you where we're going up front, uh, and then, and then I'll, I'll dive in with you further. But I, I want you to know I'm going to camp on the first two verses, so verse 46 and 47 at the start, um, for quite a while, actually, as I feel that there's a principle here um, that emerges, and it starts to shed light on, on the entire text. Okay, and so I want to spend time there. And then what we will do is we will kind of explore that principle, make, make our way through the rest of the text and explore how that plays out, uh, in, in the personal dimension that we see as, as Mary's talking about what God has done for her. And that's going to be verses, um, 48 and 49. And then we'll start to get into what I would call the corporate dimension, namely, all these things that God has done with Mary, He's doing it for all of His people. That's verses 50 to 55. So that's where we're headed. Let's begin then with um, verses 46 and 47. And, and what I want to do uh, in an attempt to connect us back into the narrative of Luke's gospel, which we've been out of for a few weeks, um, I want to ask a question here. I want to bring us into this for a moment by, by asking a question. Um, how do you how do you handle encouragement when it's given to you or honor when it's shown to you in the church? When someone comes up and, and, and wants to encourage maybe the way that they've seen God at work in your life or say something kind and, and, and encourage you, what, what do you do with that? I'm, I'm asking you to think about it personally. What, how do you handle that? What what happens in those moments? And maybe I realize some of you would say, now, I, I've been coming to this church a while, Nick, and I can't think of a single person who's ever encouraged me <laughs> or something like that. It's like, well, I realize there might be some of that. And gosh, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I want you to know I'm going to labor to uh, develop, to, to cultivate a church uh, that's not afraid 
to encourage and honor, but rather actually almost kind of like in a reflexive way. We're just ready to highlight the ways we see God at work in one another. I want that as a culture in our church. I want the kind of culture that I think Paul was after in the Roman church when he says this, Romans 12, 10. Love one another with brotherly affection in this. Outdo one another in showing honor. Have you thought about that? He wants us to compete. Yes, he does. Just not with and against one another. Rather, compete, outdo one another in showing honor. You're better. No, you're better. You're better. No, you're better. I see God more at work in you. You know what I mean? We're just, that's the kind of culture that we hope to have here. Tonight, um, the reason why we're not having uh, the prayer meeting isn't because we think that we get enough of it at this church. No way. It's, uh, it's because we're having a leader appreciation dinner at my house um, where we're having some of the key leaders in the church come over and you want to know what I'm trying to do? I want, I want to outdo them in showing honor, right? I want to give thanks for them and all the ways I've seen God at work in their lives. So what do you do with that, though? As I'm saying certain things that I see in them, or as a brother pulls me aside in the back there and says, just want to let you know, we're so encouraged by what you're doing. What do you do with that? It's wonderful stuff, but what do you do? How do you handle it? My prayer is that we would do what Mary does. When we look back at uh, the verses that came before our text here this morning, I want you to see what Elizabeth says to Mary. I want you to see the kind of thing Mary's responding to in our text. This is what Elizabeth is saying to her. Verses, uh, verse 42, and then we'll skip to verse 45 as well. Elizabeth says this, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And then verse 45, And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. She is honoring, Elizabeth is honoring Mary for the work of God's grace in her life. I mean, enough to make some of us blush, I'm sure, right? Blessed, blessed, blessed. Okay, I get it. You know, what do you do with that? And this is where we move towards the fringes of our text, where Mary responds, My soul magnifies the Lord. She's not puffed up by the encouragement. Tell me more. Come on. Lay it on me. Give me, give me some more of this. She's not threatened on the other side by this encouragement. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm nothing. I'm nothing. I'm nothing. I'm just a loser. Don't tell me that. I don't need that. Rather, she knows what to do with it. She knows where to take it. My soul magnifies the Lord. I can't believe, I can't believe He's doing this in me. You're right. This is amazing. This is amazing. But it's all of Him. If you see something good in me, it's because of something good in Him. My soul magnifies the Lord. That's why this text is called, if you're familiar, the Magnificat. 
magnify in the Latin Vulgate. She magnifies Him when encouragement and honor is given to her. So we encourage, we honor one another, and we receive that encouragement and honor from one another in such a way that it is God who is magnified, not us. Not about me. Him. Even if we're encouraging one another. Now we might say, wait a minute. So Nick, you're telling me that we take this encouragement and this honor and we kind of pass it upward to God. We, 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 we give that praise. Ultimately, it kind of flows through us to Him. Well, that doesn't sound fun. I, I, I want to take that in for a moment. I want to savor the praise and the honor. I want to kind of pull that into the deep recesses of my heart and just kind of cherish it for a little while. Now you're telling me I just got to pass it off to Him to enjoy? That doesn't sound nice. It's kind of like we get these, this is what I was picturing in my mind, it's like we get these carrots kind of dangled in front of us as someone's encouraging us. and We just want to take a bite. That's my carrot. I get to enjoy this. And now I'm saying, no, we're passing that up to Him. The one who truly deserves it. He said, that doesn't say, why has he got to be stealing my credit, stealing my joy? And if we think that way, we don't yet know God as we ought to. We don't yet know God as Mary does. Follower in verse 47, and you see that magnifying him is not opposed to her joy. In fact, the two go together, which is what we'll work on here at the beginning. She says this in verse 47, My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. My soul magnifies the Lord and... I'm not bummed about this. I'm not, okay, he gets the credit. I guess I'm just over here. And my soul, soul or spirit, I can't remember, rejoices. Inner being, magnifying him for his greatness and loving it. <laughs> well, you want to be that way. So, his glory is not contrary to my joy, but the source and the object of it. The greater he gets, it would seem, the happier I am. That's what we're learning from Mary at this point. The greater he gets, my joy goes right along with it. And we have to ask how, why, why? how does this work? Why is this the case? And that question is also answered in our text. How is it that the greater he is, the happier I am? That seems to run contrary to the way most of us think about life. The greater I am, the happier I am. If I can get on the top, I will be full of joy. Now, having someone lifted over me doesn't sound like a good situation. It sounds like I'm the runner-up. <laughs> Nobody wants to be the runner-up. So how does this work? These two ideas, God's glory, my joy, are held together by a single word in this opening statement. 
from her. My Savior, she said. I'm rejoicing in God, my Savior. Now, let me tell you how that works, what I'm thinking here. This means He is not just great somewhere out there. Okay? He's not just like somewhere above me, way out there, great and glorious, and I'm just little old me down here, you know, looking up at Him. It means, Savior means, He takes His greatness, all that He is, and He channels it, he, 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 he harnesses that greatness and uses it for my good. Does this make sense? It is, it is modified by, qualified by, constrained by His goodness. So He saves me. So here's what I'm trying to say. If you're in trouble and you need rescue... And, and somebody shows up with, you know, like an old, I, I'm just coming up with an illustration on the spot here, so bear with me. But, you know, you're not going to be stoked if like one guy shows up with a gun and you're facing this really bad situation, right? Or he's got a Nerf gun. You're stoked if the guy shows up with an army. The greater that army is, the safer you feel, the happier, happier you are. Because they've come to save you. They've come for your good. So here's how it works. Because God... Is, is looking to bless, is ready to work for our good. The greater He is, the happier I am. This is where Paul is, 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 is going in Romans 8.31 when he says this, If God, this great and glorious God, is for us, who can be against us? You hear that? If this God, as great as He is, is for me, He's good to me, I'm as safe and secure as a baby in a crib. There is nothing, there is nothing that could be against me. That's what Mary knows. That's why her soul can both magnify Him and rejoice in Him because He is Savior. He is Savior for her. Now, we uh, spoke last week of all things existing for the glory of God, right? I, I gave you an analogy of the Son of Sons and everything orbiting around Him. And on that point, I had wanted to read a quote I came across by, by uh, J.I. Packer. I love this guy. I've already quoted him a few times in, in some of my messages. Um, there wasn't time for it last week. It fits really well right here, so we're doing it today. Uh, and actually, I have it on your handout there under that first banner. Um, if you wanted to read along, I'm going to read it here real quickly. But it brings together very nicely what, what I've been after so far. He says this, God's goal is His glory. I might make little annotations as we go, so bear with me. But this needs careful ex- explanation, for it is easily misunderstood. It points to a purpose not of divine egoism, as is sometimes imagined, meaning, doesn't that sound wrong? God's after His own glory? It sounds like He's just this egotistical dude in the sky that wants everybody to look and say how beautiful He is, and that doesn't sound nice. He's saying it's, it can be misunderstood that way sometimes, as divine egoism. 
But instead, what it truly is, it points to a purpose of divine love. Here's where he goes. Certainly, God wants to be praised for his praiseworthiness and exalted for his greatness and goodness. He wants to be appreciated for what he is. That's true. But this is the key. But the glory that is his goal is in fact a two-sided, two-stage relationship. It is a conjunction of, number one, revelatory acts on his part whereby he shows his glory to men and angels in free generosity. So he's showing who he is, revelatory acts, his glory on display. But it's conjoined with, number two, responsive adoration on our part whereby we give Him glory out of gratitude for what we have seen and received. Are you catching that? His glory, because His greatness comes in goodness for His creatures, is not some threatening thing. It's a wonderful thing. And we want to glorify Him back. Revelatory acts becomes responsive adoration. Seeing that? In this conjunction, he says, is realized the fellowship of love for which God's rational creatures were and are made and for which fallen human beings have now been redeemed. The to and fro (laughs) of seeing glory in God and giving glory to God is the true fulfillment of human nature at its heart. And it brings supreme joy to man just as it does to God. You hear that? So he's displaying his beauty, and because it's it's displayed in such a way that's for our good, we are rejoicing in it. We're not destroyed by his glory as we ought to be, but because it comes to us through the cross, because it comes to us by his grace, we actually are, 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 are satisfied. In your presence is fullness of joy. Right? Now, Packer references Zechariah 3, 14 to 17, a text maybe some of you know. And and I wanted to um, read this kind of as an illustration of his point and, and bring this all together here. Zephaniah, don't, you don't have to try to find it. I can't even tell you where in the prophets it is. It's one of the small ones near the end. <laughs> but this is, this is incredible. Zephaniah 3, 14 to 17 is what I'll read to you. It says this. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has... Why are we rejoicing? Let me ask. Why are we shouting? Why are we exulting? Here it is. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion, let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one. He's great. Who will save? A mighty one who will save. And 
He now will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by His love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Are you catching this to and fro that Packer is talking about? That He is showing us His mighty deeds in saving us and we are rejoicing back in Him and enjoying that peace and security that comes from being His children, being His people. So His glory, not opposed to my joy, not undermining my joy, but becomes the object, the source, securing my joy. Now, before we, we, we move into um, the personal and corporate dimension, like I mentioned, with this now principle established, I did want to say one more thing. Because uh, I thought this was, this was a pretty, pretty interesting to note. The form, now stick with me, the form of our text actually serves to reinforce its content. Hold on. The form of our text actually serves to reinforce its content. Now, let me show you what I mean. It's widely understood by scholars that in verses 46 to 55, what we have is a hymn. It's a hymn of praise. It's a song. Mary is singing. That's why it's offset. Most of your translations probably offset it to show you it's, it's, it's poetic. It's most likely a hymn of praise to God. Now, that is the form, hymn of praise. How does that reinforce the content? His glory is my joy. Let me show you how. What is a hymn? What is a song? What are we doing when we're up here and we're singing these songs? Is this just kind of like a little pep rally? No, not at all. You want to know what's happening? It's, it's amazing. We are, at the same time, exalting God for who He is, magnifying Him, His greatness. We're saying, you are amazing. (laughs) You are awesome. These songs, they're going to Him. But you know what a song also is at the same time? It's an expression of my joy in His greatness. That's what a song is. You don't just kind of sing, I love you, if you don't actually have those sorts of affections, right? When we write songs, when you turn on the radio, it's about things typically that you love. That's why you write a love song. That's why you write a praise song. It's because in you there is something that's erupting towards that object. And so the hymn brings together the content that I'm after here. His glory is the object of my joy. And we are singing. There is something amazingly rehumanizing, uh, uh, something incredibly... Uh, right about singing to him that to and fro that, that, that Packer says is what we were created for is taking place in those moments at least we pray it is in those moments as we are seeing him and loving him for it we aren't when we're singing we're not taking the good he's given and running off somewhere to enjoy it, we're actually taking that good and we're returning to Him in worship, right? Because there's, there's different ways we could go with the good that He does. We could run off with it into idolatry or in Him, like Mary's, we return to Him and say, no way. 
You've saved me. You've done awesome things for me. You are the source of all the good that's coming my way. And I love it. The greater you get, happier I am. Okay. Now, with uh, this principle then, let's, let's start to move into the personal uh, dimension in verses 48 and 49. What we see when we look at uh, these two verses, we're going to actually, uh, if you look closely, you, you'll, you'll uncover the fact that Mary gives us here a string of, of, of ground clauses. Okay? She, she gives us a string, three reasons why her soul is magnifying and rejoicing in the greatness and goodness of God her Savior. She gives us some reasons here, and I want to look at each of these briefly in isolation with you. The first one there is in verse 48, the first part. Uh, You'll know when I say what a a ground clause, the English kind of sets it apart quite clearly when it says four. Four, four, four. We'll see three of those. Um, For this reason, my soul magnifies, my spirit rejoices. First one, verse 48, first part, four. He has looked upon the humble estate of his servant. That's what she says. Soul magnifies, spirit rejoices, for he has looked upon little, old, lowly me. The image here is awesome, right? It's this idea that she's just down low. She is just somewhere down here. and All she can do is just look up. And hope that maybe her help comes from him, right? My, what was what that psalm, I think, right? Like, uh, I look up to the hills, where does my help come from? Kind of a thing. Like, I'm just down here low, and all I can do is just go, I hope there's help coming from above. <laughs> I hope he will look on me. And she says, Oh, he has. In mercy, he has looked upon the humble estate of his servant. This, guys, this is the critical posture in the Christian life. You know that? This is how true Christianity begins, and this is the posture we carry with us into eternity. We don't get, even when we're seated with Christ at the right hand of the Father, whatever that means, it doesn't mean that we are now looking down at everything else. We are still going to want to fall down before His throne and say, no way, how do I get to be here? This is the critical posture of the Christian life. Until we reach this, I'm down here looking up. We can't even see God. In fact, I want you to hear C.S. Lewis on this. As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, you got to love Lewis, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. Do you hear that? As long as we are up here looking down at the little peons below us, we will never see our great God and Savior. We don't need to be saved. I'm on top. So the question then is, do we have Mary's, Mary's posture? You have to look on me, God, or I'm dead in the water. Or do we spend all our time trying to self-save? I, I don't care if you look on me or not. I'm getting out of this mess. 
I'm going to figure my way up. I don't want us to be that way because he makes it plain. He doesn't look on those kinds of people. Here's what he says in uh, Isaiah 66, 2. This is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. He's not enamored like the rest of the world by all of our efforts and all of our puffing of our plumage or whatever we're doing out here. He's not impressed. In fact, it's detestable. What he is impressed by, what he is enamored with, is our faith in his greatness. That causes Jesus to marvel if you look at his interaction with the centurion. I love that. I'll probably bring that up numerous times from this pulpit. I love it. Jesus sees this faith of the centurion. I don't even have the text. But, and, and when he sees this faith coming out of him, he says, it says that Jesus just marvels. No way. You believe God is sovereign. You believe God is so great. He just says a word, and it is. That I love. I could do something with that kind of a posture. Okay. Now, the second grounds clause is given in verse 48. Second part. It says this. For, again, behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. So Mary is magnifying, rejoicing in the Lord, for He has looked upon her. And now, for behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. Mary is aware that, like Elizabeth just did, people are going to remember her and consider her blessed by the Lord. And she goes, no, this is an awesome thing. He has taken me from my lowly estate and has given me a place of honor. But here's the the awesome thing about this. She knows it's not ultimately what she has done that is the decisive factor. She knows it's what God has done. That's why her soul moves from, okay, he's making me great in some way. Yeah, wonderful. But her soul moves from that to magnifying him. Not herself. Because he has looked upon her, first part of verse 48, or below in verse 49, because he has done great things for her. Therefore, generations will call her blessed. It's what he has done. That is the decisive factor. Those of us who are concerned with our legacy in this room ought to lean in at this point. I mean, this is a legacy being laid down, being forged for Mary at this point. From now on, generations, they will remember me and they will call me blessed. And there are some who say, I want to be remembered. I want a legacy that lasts, that endures, right? Mary (laughs) provides us with the secret to an enduring legacy. Tremble at and believe in God's Word to you. It wasn't her ambition. It wasn't her prowess. It wasn't even her holiness. It was her faith that brought about this blessing and God's grace upon her. Listen to what verse 38, she says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. 
Let it be to me according to your word. You want a legacy? You want something that endures? Grab a hold of his ambition. Let his word, his story, his plan, his program, his power be what you hold on to in your heart. And he will take you there. He will give you a name. Under and in his. It doesn't matter if you're Nelson Mandela or Michael Jordan. The only legacies that will make it through the judgment day of Christ will be those that were forged in humble reliance upon His greatness and power. Every other name, every other legacy, just forgotten after the judgment day. Michael Jordan, who? A couple hundred years of a legacy or, or eternity of legacy. Tell you what I mean. Listen to this. Matthew 10:42. Whoever gives, Jesus says, one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. You do something so tiny, nobody in this world cares about it. I'm giving a little cup of water here in the name of Jesus to this person. You do that, he said, my father will never forget that. That's a legacy being forged at that point. That's what really endures. It's amazing. Now, third grounds clause that we're given. Verse 49, the first part of it. Third reason for why she's magnifying and rejoicing in the Lord. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And this is just summing up what we've looked at and been saying so far. This God is using His might, His strength, to do great things, to do mighty things for me. Therefore, my soul magnifies Him and rejoices in Him. The greater He is, the happier I am. Now, she comes out in the second part of this verse after giving the, this kind of string of ground clauses and she, she perhaps even elevates uh, another degree as, as she gives another note of praise. Verse 49, second part. And holy is His name. So she's looking at all this stuff that God has done with her per, on a personal level and she says, no way. Holy is His name. All generations may know my name and call me blessed, but His lifting me up has been done in such a way that His name still shines brightest. At the end of all of this, it's His name that's holy in her mind. She starts to shine not because of who she is in and of herself, but because of who he is and what he's doing for her. And this, guys, is what makes God, his name, holy, set apart, completely other. (laughs) No one operates this way. God, you want to know how he makes a name for himself? By giving us a name. 
by building up the lowly and the weak and the nobodies, by associating with us and, and, and helping us be remembered and lifting us up. Nobody gets their name by giving someone else a name. Everyone else out here in this world, fallen world, is trying to get a name for themselves over and against the other people. I gotta compete. I gotta get above them. And then I'll have a name. This is what makes God so different. And not that way. He makes a name by coming and hanging out with me. Being low and moving towards us. Not crushing us, but building us up. Nobody does that. Holy is his name. Now, we start moving towards the corporate dimension here. It's interesting because as Mary uh, concludes, um, or as she kind of looks at what God has done with her, and she draws conclusions about God's name, this is where we start to actually see the scope of this hymn broaden out. And she starts to move into the corporate dimension. And it makes a lot of sense. Because when when she draws these things down to say this is his name... God's name is who He is. And He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what that means is, who God is towards Mary is who He will be towards the rest of His people. And so there's this natural kind of broadening that starts to happen at this point. Holy is His name. And because He is this way, He is this kind of God, He's been this way for me, He will be this way for you. He will do these things for you. This is an important point because of what Catholicism likes to do with, uh, with Mary. They actually move contrary to, to where, I'm, where I'm going here. They kind of put Mary apart at this point. She's separate. God is doing something separate with her. Very unique. And yes, yes, unique in a way. But they, they want to say she, you know, she was born without original sin. And she didn't die. She assumed into, was assumed into heaven. All these things to kind of separate her from the rest of us. But the movement of this hymn, of Mary's own words, is that my life, it's an illustration of what God wants to do in your life. All of us. Let's read verses 50 to 55 again and make note of the similarity in language even from the first part to now the second part and also the plurals that we now come across. I'm not going to have time to go through all that, but just make note as we read it. Verse 50. And His mercy, this mercy I've been shown, is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. The generations that call me blessed are now also the generations that will be blessed in Him. Seeing this? Verse 51, He's shown His strength with His arm and has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He's filled the hungry with good things and the rich He has sent away empty. He's helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy. Now, it's not just Mary, but Israel in general as He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to His offspring forever. Mary realizes that the merciful reversal of fortune that has come to her from God 
is held out to all who would fear Him, give up their pursuit of of, of joy and their own glory, and start to find it in Him. His mercy, His mercy is for those, those, any who would fear Him. Say, I'm down here in that humble estate. I need you to look upon me. If you're there, the blessing that came to Mary, coming to you. And I mentioned this reversal of fortune because as we look at this text in particular, what comes into view is this great reversal. This great reversal that God is is doing, uh, namely, particularly in, in the coming of His Son. There are two sides to this great reversal that she sings of. Okay, On the one hand, you have, and I'm just going to go through this fast, the proud who God will scatter. You have the mighty whom God will bring down from their thrones. You have the rich whom God will send away empty. And then on the other hand, you have the humble whom God will exalt. You have the lowly servant whom God is going to help. And you have the hungry whom God is going to fill with good things. You're seeing the reversal. God's coming and saying, I'm turning this world upside down. Remember that? You might not. The sermon I preached a long time ago, this world has not only fallen, but flipped. And when He's going to redeem it, He's also going to revert it. <laughs> and that's what starting, we're starting to see here. Now, there are many places that we could go with, with this. Um, but, seeing that all this reversing activity is grounded in what God spoke particularly to Abraham there in verse 55, as He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, to his offspring forever, I thought an interesting place to go going to illustrate what's happening here, is actually Genesis 11 and 12. The transition there, and as God kind of first starts to deal with Abraham. Don't worry, we're almost done. Um, But this is a pretty powerful image that I wanted you to have. Genesis 11, Tower of Babel, in case you're unfamiliar. Fallen man, fallen man. Is, is full of activity. I mean, they're making bricks and they're doing all this stuff. They're making plans. They're getting ready. They are energized. But not by God's glory. Not by His grace. They're energized by this, 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 this pride. This arrogance. Self-aggrandizement. Vainglory. They're after, we'll see, making a name for themselves. This is what they say, verse 4 of Genesis 11. Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. We're going to get up there. And let us make a name for ourselves. I want the legacy. I want the glory, but I'm going to do an end run around God to get it. I don't want to get it the way He asked us to do. He wanted us to fill the earth and all these things. We're not going to fill. We're not going to go nowhere. We're going to gather everyone we can and build up. We're going to make a name for ourselves here. God looks down, sees the pride. What does He do? Scatter. Brings them down. Not going to work. 
all their labor, all their effort comes to nothing. Actually, moves in reverse. Now, that's the first side of that reversal I was talking about. The, the, the proud and the, the mighty and the rich. The ones that have, want all the things in the world. Without God. Now we're going to see this second side. Abraham. Genesis 12. This is awesome. We first meet Abraham. This is when Abraham shows up on the scene for the first time. Now hear this. Hear this. Now the Lord. This is verse 1, chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And... I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Did you hear this? The thing that the the builders of that tower were after, this great name, they were trying to make a name for themselves and it came to nothing. Abram over here, childless Abram, God comes to him and says, you know what? I'm going to do the miracle in you. I'm going to make of you a great nation and I will make your name great. I'm going to take the low and I'm going to do something lofty with him. That is the principle that, 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 is, that is, 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 is in our text and now illustrated in Genesis 11 through 12. This is what it means to be of Abraham. We're these low people, and Mary's following in line along this. Low people go, we can't do this. You have to do this. And he is happy. He will make the name for us. He is the reason why people will remember Mary through generations. And this sort of thing is going on around us and in our own hearts, right? Are we in Genesis 11, Genesis 12? We're trying to build that name for ourselves. We'll come to nothing, be scattered. We'll go away empty. Are we there with Abram? Are we there saying, we, we, we don't have this, Lord. We don't have the capacity. My wife's barren, whatever. <clears throat> I don't have a child. I can't, I can't have a nation. I can't even have a name. My name's going to go off to my servant because I don't have a kid. I can't do this. You got to do this. He believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. Let it be done to me according to your word. That's the kind of stuff that moves. We as a church, we putting, are we putting ourselves in God's hand? Are we done? Are we done with our name? Are we ready to give it to him? Are we just, hey, you know what? This is it for me. I'm going in the grave. You bring me up. And what you want me to be, I will be. You want to build me a legacy? Go for it. But it will be one that will, though my name might be remembered, it's your name that's shining brighter above it all. You want to do wonderful things for me? Go for it. But it's you who's going to do it. I am here in your hands. The clay is no longer going to fight back against the potter. I want to be what you want me to be. And just imagine the, the, the amazing just self-forgetfulness we could enjoy if our name was in His hand. It's in your hand. You do what you want. If you want it in the dirt, it'll be in the dirt. But I trust you. I trust you. You will use your greatness for my good and my joy. 
Here are those people that have stopped trying to impress others or even impressing God and have started to be impressed by Him. It's just the phrase that's kept coming to my mind. Stop trying to impress and just start being impressed by Him. (laughs) You're the one, right? Now, this is where we'll close. The only way to ever reach such a place of being impressed by this God, His greatness and His grace, is to follow Jesus from Bethlehem to Calvary and to watch, to watch, to watch the Son of God, the, 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 the quintessential offspring of Abraham, the, the, the fruit of Mary's womb that Elizabeth blessed. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. Follow Him to the cross and watch that fruit rot under the weight of God's wrath for my sin. You go with Him there. You watch Him move and you start to see how this reversal takes place. Jesus is the real subject of Mary's hymn. I mean, it's the child in her womb that we're talking about here. Jesus is the real object of her praise. He is the one who's going to accomplish this great reversal, and you want to know how he's going to do it. He's going to do it by bringing both sides, both that that pride, arrogant judgment side, and the humble, lowly, exalted side, into one in himself on the cross. It's at the cross where if God would grant us eyes to see the high and lofty are lowered. Because we perceive, we perceive in His wounds <laughs> what it cost. We perceive in His wounds what we deserve. You see, Jesus is taking on that cross the scattering, the emptiness the being lowered from the throne. That's what He's taking. The judgment side of things. And when we have eyes to see it, the high suddenly find themselves in the dust. No way. That's what I deserve. And then, if God gives us eyes to see, as we come to that cross, the low, the low are lifted up the other side of that reversal starts to take place as we perceive in His wounds paid in full, ransomed, delivered, received, accepted, raised from the dead. This exchange is over. I come to Him. I receive Him. God's greatness, His glory, all that He is coming at me through the Gospel of Jesus Christ for my good. That is why last week it was all about we adore, we adore the glory of God as it is revealed to us in the Gospel of Jesus Christ. I am amazed, enamored. My joy is in His glory because it comes to me for my good. In the Gospel, I'm low and high at the same time in Christ. I'm dead and alive. I'm poor and I'm rich. I'm orphaned and adopted. My name, I let it go, but He's building me a new one. One that will endure. Let go of my legacy, but He's forging me one that will stand in eternity. It's amazing, isn't it? Let's 
sing our hymns of praise to this glorious, great, good God. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you so much that you have come down. You have come down to save us. You've come down to bear your arm. And while that arm and your strength should have been should have been born against us, instead you use it to save us, Lord. Thank you that you have come and you have used your greatness for our good. God, I pray that that if there are people here that have not received what you've done for them at the cross, have not been lowered into the dirt and yet lifted into the heavenlies, God, I pray you would do that in these moments. Let us cry out to you. Let us repent. Let us fear you that that your mercy might flow to us in Jesus. Thank you so much. We praise your name. His delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor his pleasure in the legs of a man. But the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. God, we so badly want you to to delight in us. And we know, we know that you don't delight in us because we're beautiful. (laughs) It's not up to us to put on enough makeup or get righteous enough or holy enough. What you delight in is when we finally say we've had enough. We can't do it. you got to do it, Lord. That you take pleasure in. And I pray that would be rising up in our hearts, God. Would come to mark us as a church. Mark us as your people. That we are humble and broken. And yet we know we dwell with the high and lofty one. Thank you, Jesus. Without you, this would not be the case. So we honor, we praise, we love, we love to lift you up. It's in your name we pray. Amen.